We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Derek Rose is preparing to suit up for his first game uh, in his second tour now with the New York Knicks. I, I want to break down the Rose trade a little bit uh, to start. Uh, obviously, there's not a ton of like real basketball implications with this, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Derek Rose is always going to be a name, even when he's probably still in the league at 38 years old, signing a 10-day contract with the Memphis Grizzlies. It's going to be a big deal uh, because he won an MVP 10 years ago. But I mean, in, in terms of actual on-court basketball. Derrick Rose is a fine role player. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, dramatically change the fortunes of any team he's on or any team he leaves. With that said, there there are kind of a lot of weird ripple effects with a, a, a early season trade involving the Knicks and the Detroit Pistons uh, because of some of the other point guards involved on these rosters. Uh, obviously in New York, 
you have Emmanuel quickly. Um, and I, I don't think the addition of Rose necessarily helps getting him any more minutes. Uh, so we'll kind of talk about, you know, what the goal is there, whether he should be playing more at this point, whether the Knicks, uh, you know, uh, should do what it looks like they're doing. And that is, you know, kind of chasing the eight, nine or 10 spot in the East this year. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about Dennis Smith, who I was very high on uh, back in that draft. I think it was 2017 draft. Is that right? I think so. Okay, we will verify that at some point. <laughs> um, but I, I have not quite given up hope on Dennis Smith. Should I? Probably. Um, but, you know, I, I think if there's any team right now where you could go and, and have an opportunity to to see minutes that you wouldn't elsewhere, uh, it's probably the last place Detroit Pistons. Um, but do you have any initial reactions to the Derrick Rose trade? Uh, I, I garner that you probably feel similarly to how I do. So, you know, if, if, there, if nothing really strikes you, um, you know, what are some of the side implications of a deal like this? Yeah, I I just wish Rose would have gone to more of a contender or like a fringe contender instead of a team still like by all accounts trying to make the playoffs. Um, I just feel like it's kind of, again, like I feel like his talent is just as wasted on a team like this as it is in Detroit with a team that's like tanking. Um, yeah. But yeah, other implications. I mean, I hope Dennis Smith Jr. plays because... Like, I would like to see him play basketball again. Like, he's played three games this year. Last year, he was just, like, out of the rotation. He was playing horrible last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just been kind of, like, a completely forgotten man ever since the the Mavericks drafted him. and Or, excuse me, since the Mavericks drafted Luka. And then everyone quickly realized that Luka was incredible uh, and, like, a transcendent player. And then he and <laughs> Dennis Smith Jr. didn't make sense, so they did everything they could to get rid of him very quickly. Um, so I, I hope he, I, I just want to see him play again. And I think he has an opportunity because I don't really know how, you know, the, how committed the Pistons are to like DeLon Wright. DeLon Wright's not exactly young anymore. Like he's not really no. part of the rebuild. Yeah. I mean, with, with Dennis Smith, we've at least seen something with him. I'm not claiming that his rookie year was some revelatory season, but I mean, he averaged 15 points over five assists, four rebounds, a, a full steal per game. Uh, the percentages were terrible. I mean, he was 39 and a half from the field, 31% uh, from three, and then under 70% at the line. So yeah, obviously there were some major, major flaws there. And, and I understand why they would think that he wouldn't gel with Luca, But at the same time, I mean, it's not like he's been a, a complete bust. Like this is not a, a Kevin Knox type of situation where there's like very, there's like almost no, you know, four to five game sample where he's looked really good. Like he had some moments his rookie year. He had some moments his second year as well. Uh, in Dallas and then, you know, slightly less so in New York after the trade. But it, I mean, he like you said, he only played in 34 games last year was completely, you know, a non-factor. Um, and even so far this year, it's been hard to tell like when, when he's even been active, like he's, he's been on the injury report. Um, and then when he, you know, when he is active, he barely comes off the bench. So I, I think it was to the point where a change of scenery was, was definitely necessary. I, it, it's definitely going to be like an uphill climb to salvage his career just because he, you know, he has some flaws. He had the the torn ACL coming out of high school. Um, you wonder how that, you know, has affected him long-term at the same time, he was the ninth overall pick, you know, three drafts ago, and he just turned 23 um, on, on Thanksgiving weekend. So there, there's still quite a bit to work with. Um, and I, I feel like if, if Josh Jackson can be reclaimed in Detroit, I see absolutely no reason why Dennis Smith cannot. Uh, I'm with you. Josh Jackson's been all right. Uh, he, he's definitely cooled down since the start of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. It's kind of interesting now between, 
I mean, we don't know if Killian Hayes is out for the whole year. Has that been confirmed? I mean, there's like it no. It hasn't been confirmed, but it it certainly seems like that's a a distinct possibility. There's about zero optimism regarding Killian Hayes returning this year. So, like, I'm I'm kind of interested in what happens next year between him and Hayes because Dennis Smith Jr. his uh you know like next year he has a five million dollar uh you know salary, but then after that he's a free agent. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you do between those two. Like, are you do you, are you hoping that like one of them takes off? Um, or is he going to take minutes away from Killian Hayes, who looked like really bad as a rookie? I, I'm I'm just not really sure. But I guess you do it. I don't I don't blame the I don't blame the Pistons for taking a chance here. No, I mean if you're Detroit, and, and this goes all the way back to probably the end of last season, and, and maybe maybe they should have done this a year earlier. But you're just in asset acquisition mode, right? Yeah. I mean it, it doesn't even, it shouldn't matter what position. Uh, you know, past accomplishments shouldn't necessarily matter. You're just trying to get as many guys on the door who could potentially pop uh, as possible. And I, I think Dennis Smith is is definitely one of those guys based on his pedigree. I mean, it, it, as far as Killian Hayes goes, I, I don't think they saw enough from him, um, you know, to say like he's just bad or his rookie season was a failure. I mean, he played in like seven games, um, played fewer than 20 minutes in, in three of those games. So we, we have almost no sample and when you think back to someone like Trey Young, who was like horrendous for almost two months, his rookie year, and then, you know, got things turned around and looks great. Obviously, Killian Hayes is not going to take that kind of trajectory. But I don't I don't think if you're Detroit, I don't think you can say, well, he looked terrible for seven games. Let's just move on. Um, I, at the same time, I, I think like let's say they have the you know number one or number two pick in the draft and, and there's a point guard or, or a primary ball handler there. I definitely would not let the presence of Dennis Smith or Killian Hayes preclude me from from investing in, in another high upside ball handler. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, he, Killian Hayes was super young, right? He came into the league. Yeah. He's like 19 and a half years old um, after playing overseas. So I, I think for the Pistons, drafting Killian Hayes at seven was just kind of like they're cool with the long haul on this, um, you know, because there would be no other reason to play a guy like 20, 25 minutes a game who was putting up like as bad of numbers as he was. Um, right. And yeah, I, again, like it's very, you know, it's kind of process oriented, but yeah, like if you see another point guard available in the draft, just like take him um, and and don't be afraid to do that. Yeah. I feel like we, we've seen too many teams try to draft for need at the, at the very top of the draft. And that just almost never works out. I mean, if, if you're going to be a, a great superstar level player, you know, more often than not, you'll be able to find a way to, you know, either play out of position or, or you're, you're, you know, if, if you end up getting someone who's that good, you just make it work around that player. Um, so to pass on someone just for kind of these, these outdated positional parameters um, doesn't make a ton of sense historically. So as far as the Knicks side of this, I, I think the, the number one implication is that this is not good for uh, Emmanuel quickly, who, you know, has had some, some very bright moments. Um, hasn't maybe been quite as good overall uh, as some of those those better better moments would suggest. I mean, he's, he's um, you know, he's shooting 41% from the field, 36% from three, not turning it over a ton. Um, but still, I mean, he's, he's a rookie point guard. You know, his lows have been pretty low. You know, defensively, there are certain, certainly some limitations there. At the same time, I think if you're if you're a Knicks fan, like, yes, this team is technically, you know, in play in contention right now they're the ninth seed um in the eastern conference a half game behind toronto for the eight so you know there's there haven't been many times over the last 10 to 15 years where we're a third of the way through the season and the knicks are are like right in it like this so i understand kind of wanting to go for it um but you know 
to me, bringing in Derrick Rose is not like bringing in Bradley Beal, where all of a sudden you're like, okay, like this this really could mean something. This could really propel us to that next tier. Um, I certainly don't think Derrick Rose does that at all. And it, it feels like we're kind of going down that same road that we have been with New York these last few years, where whether it's Nilakina or Knox or Mitchell Robinson or, or even R.J. Barrett to some degree, you know, they're, they're, they just can't really be patient, it seems. And, and even when they have these high upside young players on the roster, there seems to be this like innate need to go and bring in veterans to you know ultimately compete with them for playing time. And I think there's a case to be made, you know, ultimately, you know, kind of jeopardize the the development of some of these guys. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not really worried about like I don't think the Knicks are worried about jeopardizing the development of uh, like Frank Nilakina. Like I they're probably out on Frank Kilanina or <laughs> Nilakina, right? Like him and Knox both. Is, do they have any future left with the Knicks? I mean, I, I think their stock is I, I like sure all-time low. Yeah. And I'm actually not that worried about quickly. Um, I know people are like kind of panicking to some extent. But I actually think like Rose could easily just take all of Austin Rivers' minutes. or And then like five minutes from Alfred Payton. And there's Rose's 20 to 25 minutes a game. And nothing has to come away from quickly. Like quickly won't have the ball as much in those situations. But I don't really know how much those two need to even overlap at all if they will. Quickly has been shooting well enough to play off ball. Right. Um, so I'm not I'm not really that worried about like the Emmanuel Quickly situation. I mean, this pretty much I think puts a you know, a nail in the coffin of like the Frank Nilakina experience essentially. And maybe they'll try to move Austin Rivers. I'm not really sure. Yeah, the river signing never made a ton of sense uh in the beginning, but I mean, I think his playing time has already dwindled these last couple of weeks. It's it's just a very typical like modern Knicks team where like week to week, the rotation is, has changed pretty dramatically. You know, you have a, a couple staples in, in Randall and Barrett, and even Mitchell Robinson is, has played a decent amount of minutes this year. But uh, the cast around those guys seems to just be in, in like a constant rotation. Um, I, I mentioned Bradley Beal as a, you know, obviously not someone that the Knicks are going to go get. But I can I frankly cannot believe that Bradley Beal continues to reiterate that he does not want to be traded. I, I think this has almost reached the point where everyone would just take his side and it wouldn't be a big deal at all if he wanted to be traded. I mean, right. I, honestly, almost kind of like Matthew Stafford or, or Deshaun Watson. Like, is there anybody who's saying like, this is ridiculous what Deshaun Watson is doing to the Texans who have, you know, traded away all of his weapons and gone behind his back and, and, you know, made hires that he didn't have any say in. Um, it, it really feels like Beal is almost to that point. And I guess on, on one hand, good on him for, for not taking it to that next level. I don't know if it's, you know, you, seeing what happened with James Harden a month ago and and maybe not wanting to go through that criticism. At the same time, I haven't heard one one peep of anyone criticizing James Harden in the last like two or three weeks. You know, it was it was probably a pretty rough week and a half for him. And then everybody kind of forgets. And it's kind of fun to see him play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, and everyone just moves on. And I, I think that's exactly what would happen with Brad Beal if it, if it ever got to the point. And I still think it, it will at some point. But if it ever gets to that point where, you know, where he does approach ownership and, and asks to be traded to a contender. He should. I, I'm with you. Like, who who is upside of Bradley Beal for doing this? And I think by actually, like, I people feel, people would definitely feel worse for Bradley Beal than they ever did for James Harden. Just as a basketball situation. Because this, with James Harden, it was like the franchise did everything for him. He asked for all this stuff. Right. Know, didn't get along with the people who they brought in. You know, the 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 world revolved around him and then he just wasn't happy and he just kind of set fire to everything and left. Right. With Beal, it was like, I'm sure Beal has say in the organization, 
but he wasn't demanding a ton of stuff. I don't think he ever asked to be like the number one option. Like I don't think he was ever like, Hey, I need to be taking 23 shots a game for this team. Like I demand it. So mm-hmm. this is all kind of, I think fallen into his lap. And I think he's, again, I think he's grateful that like an organization believes in him so much, but it's, you know, I think at this point he's 27, he's in his prime. Like he can just stay here and get his numbers, right? He could probably lead the league in scoring like three out of the next five years if he really felt like it. But that's not, he needs to, I think, try to transition into a situation where he can be like the number two guy on a team. Right. I think that's a tough sell to someone like Beal. I mean, my my guess is his rebuttal would be, uh, actually, I'm averaging 33.3 points per game. I'm leading the league in scoring by four points per game. I, I am the number one guy. Right. Um, but again, I mean, the counter to that is, well, if that was true, your team wouldn't, wouldn't be where it is right now. And we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So like he, there are very few players who, you know, can get their numbers and, you know, automatically that team is, is winning 55 games or, or 50 games, I should say, um, you know, in an 82 game season, Beal's just not one of those guys. Like historically, you know, high scoring shooting guards don't tend to be the type of players who can carry an entire team, regardless of the four guys that are out there with him. And, and that's, I, I think, been part of the, the frustration for Beal. Um, I, you know, you, you mentioned he's 27. Maybe he just doesn't quite feel that that need to to go elsewhere quite yet. You know, if he was 29 or 30, you know, maybe it would be more of this, you know, my prime years are dwindling. I, I, I need to win now. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I, I think what's, as like a, a non-Wizards fan, what's kind of frustrating is like, what, what's the pathway out? You know, now that you have this Westbrook contract, you, you have you know, very few young players that you really, really like, you know, I, I think there's four or five guys on that roster that could end up being like pretty good, uh, you know, role players or, or decent starters, but it's not like you have a, a Michael Porter sitting there and you're thinking like, man, two, three years down the road, this could be the guy, you know, that that's my co-star. Like, I, I don't, I don't think the wizards as currently constructed are going to be any better next year or the year after than they are right now. No, I, they, I don't think they have any win now moves available to them because of the Westbrook contract. And because of the, like the other, you know, like they, I, I don't think any of their young players are like, especially, and the Bertans contract, by the way, which is uh, an albatross. Like Oof, he, that's bad. I don't know. I, I saw someone on Twitter, uh, throw out the idea of a Bertans for Andre Drummond swap. And I saw that and I thought there's no way Cleveland would do that. Cleveland would rather have nothing at all and just let Andre Drummond walk than, like a Bertans contract on their books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I just don't know what they're going to do. You look at like their guaranteed money in 2022, 23, and it's $111 million they have committed for Westbrook, Beal, Bertans, Hachimura, and Avdia. I don't even know what you do beyond that. So I think you have to, you know, I think the smart thing to do would just be to treat the Russell Westbrook contract like the Blake Griffin contract and just say, Hey, we need to make sure there's a really bad team around this guy so that he has no chance of getting us extra wins, essentially. <laughs> uh, and just, like, tank for five years down the line instead of, like, a, a shallower rebuild where it's like we're tanking for two or three years down the line. So I understand the loyalty perspective if you're if you're the Wizards. You know, I, I think something that's really discounted in these conversations is, you know, the reputation of the organization. Like, I, you don't, you don't want to be the team that's just going to pull the plug if things don't go right for a year or two. Uh, so there's certainly something to be said by by standing uh, next to your franchise guy here. Um, 
But wouldn't it also be more beneficial for the Wizards at this point, given the numbers and the contracts that you just read off? Like, what is their way out right now? I mean, their way out is to trade the one mega valuable guy in the middle of his prime that's on the roster. And and that's not the, the easiest decision. Uh, if he's been there his entire career, you know, you, you drafted him in the top five way back in the day. Like, obviously, there, there are a lot of other factors there. But from a pure business perspective, trading Bradley Beal is probably best for Bradley Beal. And it, in my opinion, is far and away the best thing for the future of the organization. Yeah, I mean, there's he has enough time left on his deal to where you can still probably get like a decent amount of value for him. You know, it's not like he's at the he's not like he's got one year left on his deal and you're trading him for like, you know, a first round pick and like a like a OK young guy. I mean, look, you can get depending on who you're trading. I don't think you would get a James Harden package for him. Um, but you know, you get something close. I, I mean, depending so, on how. Honestly, I don't even know if the contract stuff matters that much anymore because every every player who's been on an expiring, you know, like Anthony Davis, uh, it's just presumed, you know, you just don't make that deal unless he's signing. And more often than not, they end up signing and you, you still give up this gargantuan package. I mean, the, the contract is a nice a nice bonus, I guess, you know, that you can, you don't necessarily have this like insane pressure right away to sign an extension. But I mean, I don't, I don't know if it would be a hardened package, but it would be really close, I, I think, because... I mean, what other player is going to come on the market this year? And and just looking at the standings, like how many teams are really out of it right now? I, I think OKC is, is they're not, I mean, mathematically, they're not out of it, but the way that this team is constructed, they're out of it. Minnesota is probably out of it, Detroit, and then this Washington team that we're talking about. I mean, there's like 20 other teams. I, I think that would at least have the conversation about like, could we put something together for Brad Beal? Like, I, I think the market would be so competitive that the offers would just end up driving each other up. Yeah. And I, you know, it's the, the list of teams that I think would trade for him or, you know, like with Harden, he, you, they got him into a situation where he was on a team that immediately was a contender and that you're, you, you had to make sure not to put him in a situation where he was going to be unhappy again. And it's not like Brad Beal, Brad Beal says he's not unhappy. So, you know, I don't know, but how many teams are there that you would put Brad Beal on? And they would become an instant contender or, you know, very close to fringe contender. Uh, and that team also has the assets to make the trade in the first place. I don't know how that's not a very big list of teams at all. Right. It might come down to like Denver and Michael Porter Jr. Um, and yeah. I don't know. I, I don't well, know it's either else. that or I think it's the teams that have the, the cachet of draft picks. Right. Because then you can yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like New Orleans, for example, you know, you can make that trade without just completely emptying out the roster because yeah, like you said, I mean, a lot of these teams that are on paper really appealing destinations, you know, it's like, Oh, send Brad Beal to Portland for, for who, for Damian Lillard, you know, like, and, and then you're, you know, both teams are kind of right back where they, where they were before. Um, yeah. I mean, New Orleans is really intriguing uh, again. Yeah. I mean, they're they're They haven't been a great team this year, but I mean, at the end of the day, if you could just get, you know, most of those Lakers picks, some of the, the Pelicans own picks, and then, you know, I don't know, Lonzo Ball. Lonzo, and yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you could end up doing OK. Um, and, and Brad Beal with Zion Williamson and, you know, and Brandon Ingram, presumably. I, that's a, a pretty nice big three. I, I think if I'm Beal, I'd be a hell of a lot happier playing on that roster, even if the bench is emptied out, even if, you know, that team has no picks and has limited flexibility. Again, the situation, the, the basketball situation um, in, in Washington is just so bad right now that, I, again, I, I'm just shocked that it, it really hasn't exploded in, in the Wizards' faces yet. It is it is surprising. I if it goes, I will, I'll be shocked if it goes the whole year. Like it's hard to imagine, you know, the year being over, the Wizards 
the Wizards have like 20 wins and everyone's like, yeah, let's do it again next year. Like, here we go. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That is why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six month Rotowire subscription when you placed your first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use promo code ROTO, that's ROTO, R O T O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. I want to switch gears and talk about LaMelo Ball real quickly, who has started now the last five games for Charlotte. Uh, Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, or P.J. Washington have missed all five of those games. So there's, you know, the, the one weird one was when Washington was out Rozier and Graham both played and they essentially started LaMelo Ball as the three, you know, if we're going based on size. Um, So my question to you is, has he played well enough that when Devontae Graham is back, whenever that may be, I I think he's already been ruled out for Wednesday's game. Do they have to keep him in the starting lineup? Like, is it, is it possible to to play three guards like that when Gordon Hayward is then your four? Like, can Charlotte get away with that? I feel like it, I mean, maybe, um, you know, it kind of, I, I kind of like him coming off the bench because he can, you know, control the offense. Um, he can help get a lot of those like secondary guys open. Like him and Miles Bridges have been great together, for example. Um, I don't know, but at the same, like as a starter, Ball is averaging 17 points on 44, 51, 89 shooting, uh, which is obviously unsustainable, but still really good. And then 6.6 assists, six rebounds. I mean, he's putting up, practically all-star numbers as a starter in these five games so it would feel weird to bring him back off the bench but I think at this point I think he's he's got to be locked into like almost 30 minutes a game right like you can you can bring him off the bench but you still have to play him a ton of minutes yeah ultimately I don't know that it matters all that much I I think he's I think it's clear that he wants to start and there's, there's been kind of like increased energy whenever he is in the starting lineup. I mean, we saw him hit seven threes uh, in their game against Houston last night. Um, I mean, he's clearly figured it out, but like you said, I almost think when, when Graham and Rozier are in the lineup, what, what ball gives you as a, as a ball handler and and a guy who's, you know, whose hands you want the ball in, I think even more than those other two guys, I, I, I think he maybe is best used off the bench or, or, or at least you maybe shift one of those other guys to the bench and you have like a miles bridges or, or even a Malik Monk out there, like somebody who's not, you know, going to be hogging possessions, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, because I, I think you're essentially having three point guards in Rozier, Graham, and, and Ball, maybe is just going to give you diminishing returns on all those guys. So, you know, having Ball out there without those two coming off the bench, I, I think has, has worked really well for them so far. But 
I almost think just from like an organizational perspective, you know, like the the amount of investment in this guy, how well he's playing. Um, I, I think like the pressure is going to start building on, on James Borrego to put him in the lineup just because of how good he's been. Definitely. Like, I think you have to keep him or, you know, like, I think you could have Devonte Graham come off the bench because he's someone too, who has a really good passer. Um, yeah. At the same time, like all the, you know, like LaMelo could be out there with those guys because Devonte Graham and Rosier are good three point shooters and they yeah. don't need to have the ball in their hands necessarily. So you could do it. But I'm with you. I think it is a little kind of it has some diminishing returns, especially when Gordon Hayward is out there, you know, basically being like a, a, a point forward as well. Um, yeah, there is definitely organizational pressure to start LaMelo at this point because he has been playing so well. Um, at the same time, like you just don't want to, you know, like completely throw away. I don't know how Devonta Graham would feel coming off the bench. You don't want to ruin like those relationships either. Um, it's a tough situation, but I, I think... Like for me, the main thing is that Lamelo has clearly like turned the corner as a player, uh, even as a rookie, and is just really is just a really good player right now, and is like a hundred he's a, like a one hundred percent lock to win Rookie of the Year at this point. I, I I mean like as as recently as a week and a half ago, I would have said you know I thought I think Halliburton was right there. I mean we like two weeks ago on this podcast yeah. we we were saying how we thought Halliburton. Um, you know, based on the efficiency, I mean, he was shooting like 10 percentage points better from the field and from three. Uh, I, I think at that point I, I would have voted for Halbert and that was probably at like the 18 game mark. And, and now LaMelo has played 25 games. So basically seven more games. And, and he is now a lock to win rookie of the year, which I mean, if he, if he plays it out relatively closely to this for sure. I mean, and not only would he win rookie of the year, but I, I think this has the potential to be like an all time great rookie point guard season. Um, with some of the counting stats that he's putting up, I mean, there's usually kind of a grace period for for point guards, especially where, you know, it, it's not a big deal if you struggle right away. And, you know, two, three, four years down the road is when you really start to come into your own. But I mean, for for it's not just him, like the fact that it's LaMelo Ball, the prospect who's playing this way, is just so mind boggling to me. Like I was one thousand percent wrong uh, about how NBA ready he would be. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I stopped short of saying I, I thought he would be a bust just because there was like this, you know, ringing in the back of my head. Like, I think he might actually be good, but I, I never would have said that publicly. Like, I, I was for sure thinking that this would be a like 37 percent from the field. Um, you know, you'd be picking up DNP CDs because he would have rough stretches. Like, I mean, that that is it, it's just gone so far the opposite way that I, I can't really believe it. Yeah, I think a lot of that like footage and stats out of the Australian league was like really deceiving because I think he just was trying like from what I understand, it sounds like he was just out there like trying everything he could, you know, playing like as fast as possible um, just to like just kind of get his legs under him. And real he realized like this isn't the NBA. This is kind of like a tryout and I'm just going to do whatever. And I think people projected that guy. So that's how he's going to be in the NBA. I mean, in reality, he's like a much smarter player than that. Very controlled. Um, but I'm with you. I didn't think he'd be this good. I, I wasn't sure he'd be this good ever. Um, and he's already this good right now. Um, yeah, he's, I, I, I hope, I hope the Hornets make the playoffs because I, I would really love to see what happens when a team gets to basically like dial in on him for seven games. Like how, how good is LaMelo in a, in a playoff situation? Like you, you would assume teams are already preparing for him. He's good enough to where you should really like factor that into your scouting report, obviously. But I would like to see like how like our teams just kind of go under him on every screen, you know, and try to make him 
uh, beat them from the three point line. I I I hope they're in. I hope they're I hope they're in the playoffs. Okay, this sounds mean, but is he already better than Lonzo has ever been? At I was actually I was actually going to ask you that, and then I forgot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he is. I think he's I think he is better than Lonzo. Um, and I it depends I, how you frame it, you know, because like if if you're like, who would you rather have for the next five years? Like obviously it would be Lamelo. Like that would be if you asked a hundred people, it would be a hundred to zero in favor of him. Lonzo's a better defender. I think Lonzo yeah. Lonzo's definitely a better straight up one on one defender. He's harder to get past. He's harder to 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 body through. But the stuff I've seen from Lamelo in terms of off ball defense, like his ability to, you know, jump across the lane, disrupt something, and then jump back to his defender is really good, even if he gets beat a lot of times by his actual assignment. Um, but I mean, his half court, his half court playmaking, I think, is worlds above Lonzo. Like I, I don't, even think, I don't even think that dis- discussion's close. And I would almost say his full court playmaking too. And I, I think Lonzo is maybe still better at the at just kind of the overall c- conducting, uh, you know, of a of a fast break. You know, getting the ball, throwing it up court. You know, knowing where to be, knowing who to hit. Uh, obviously, Lamelo's had you know a few highlight passes. You know, those full court throws um, as well. But I mean, he in, in terms of like him getting a rebound and being able to take it coast to coast, like you don't see that a lot from Lonzo. Like Lonzo is kind of always looking to pass. Um, and, and more recently, you know, looking to, to hunt three point shots. But I mean, the, the number one difference between them is that LaMelo is not only a good free throw shooter, but he actually gets to the line consistently. I mean, I, I don't have the numbers up in front of me. I would venture to guess that he's been to the line more times in his last five games than Lonzo's been to the line all season. I mean, he that that's the, the number one thing for Lonzo is you, you know, you can't be a an NBA point guard who is extremely up and down as a shooter, you know, can, can shoot 45% from three for two weeks and then 25% from three for the next two weeks. You can't get away with that when you're not supplementing it, you know, by, by getting to the line and, and knocking those down. I mean, he's, I'm, I'm trying to see his total free throw attempts. He has 16 free throw attempts in 19 games this season and is shooting 62%. Lonzo, Lonzo has 16 free throws this season. Yeah. Free throw attempts. 16. Yeah. The same. Right. So is that what LaMelo has in his last five games? Oh, I don't know. I thought you were saying oh, I was, was reading. I was reading Lonzo. Sorry. Oh, okay. Melo uh, uh, has 18 in his last five games. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Lonzo has like what 215 ish for his career. Uh, Lonzo does, and Lamelo's already at 67. <laughs> so you know, I mean, he's a, he's definitely like a better he's a better yeah. offensive player. There's a decent chance that he'll attempt more free throws this season than Lonzo. Uh, actually, probably not. But with the way that that eh, eh, maybe it'll be close. It's possible. It, yeah, no, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to do the math as I go. And next I think year, it next year, I think Lamelo will definitely clear Lonzo in that category. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, that was the, I, I just wanted to bring this up. You know, basically, it's like an apology, I guess, to Lamelo. <laughs> I'm sure apology he was listening before the draft. I would imagine that's that's part of what fueled him. But yeah, it's it's been it's been a hell of a run. And I mean. Even if you include that that last game that he came off the bench, I mean that was 27 points, nine assists, five rebounds, three steals. Um, it's it's been it's been really really impressive. I, I think the one knock is that he is turning it over a little bit more than he was early on, but I, I think part of that is just having a little more freedom, you know, being more comfortable, taking chances. Um, you know, inevitably those those turnovers are going to happen. I mean this is, I mean this is pretty unprecedented, right? From just a 19 year old point guard, he's younger he's younger than Killian Hayes, by the way. Um, <laughs> Like, I, I don't know of anybody else, like, off the top of my head. I mean, uh, some, someone under 20 years old doing, putting up these kinds of numbers. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of who, you know, obviously Lillard had a, a wild rookie season, but I mean, that was, I think he was a 22-year-old rookie, played four years of college, yeah. um, you know, albeit at a lower level, but still, yeah, right. I mean, I'm looking at this list of rookies of the year right now. I mean, the last the last point guard to win it, um, I believe, was was Kyrie. Um, right? I'm not sure, actually, at the top of my head. I feel like that award, like, kind of, like, I don't remember it long term. Oh. Um, well, Ben Simmons well, guess, won it. Yeah. Brogdon, I guess, was kind of a point guard, although at, at that point, not really. MCW, of course. Duh. Yeah. I mean, Doncic was 19, but I don't, he's not the same kind of like point no. guard no, 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 that no. they're very different players. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it, it's tracking as, you know, maybe not like an all time, you know, this guy's going to be, you know, fast track to the Hall of Fame type of rookie season, but. It's, it's going to stack up pretty well, I, I think, with just about any rookie season um, for, for, for any elite point guard. Uh, I want to switch gears now to two teams that have struggled out of the gates. We're, we're at exactly the 33% mark of the season in terms of total games played this week, by the way. Um, and I want to ask you about the Dallas Mavericks and the Miami Heat. Uh, both these teams have won two in a row. Uh, but prior to that, Miami had lost six of seven. Dallas had lost seven of eight. Uh, they're both currently on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoff picture. But, you know, as we keep saying every week, you know, everything is so jumbled up that a three game win streak could basically put Dallas in like the five or six seed. No problem. And and same goes for Miami. Which of these teams are you more concerned about? And that is to say, like, which one do you think could have a legitimate chance of, you know, all of a sudden it's May and we're like, are, are they really going to end up in the play in game? Yeah, I mean, Miami, based on like kind of their you know, like their strength of schedule profile looks definitely worse than Dallas, but I don't know, man. Like I, I, maybe I am more worried about Miami just because, I mean, the heights they were at last year, this fall is like way more dramatic. Um, and I just like both of these teams have had COVID concerns too, right? Like, it's not like we're comparing one team that's been healthy all year yep. to another team that hasn't been. Both of these teams have missed like key guys. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, because Don just played through all the COVID protocols, essentially, and Butler was out for a really long time for uh, Miami. But again, you look at, like, I, I went through and I looked at, okay, how could these teams do when their best two players are on the court? And pretty much identical. Like, when Porzingis and Doncic are on the court together, Mavericks are plus 1.3. When Butler and Adebayo are on the court together, it's plus 1.4. So almost identical there. Um, I really don't know who I'm more worried about. I, I, I don't know. Are you leaning one way on this? You know, n not super strongly. I, I think I've been a little concerned with what I've seen from Dallas, certainly. Um, and part of it with, you know, with Miami is that we saw this team go to the finals last year. So I, I think there's this built-in belief that, you know, they're basically brought back the exact same roster. Like we've seen them do it. They get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, Dallas put up a nice fight against the Clippers in round one, but they, they don't have quite the, uh, you know, the pelts on the wall where, where you're willing to just say like, well, yeah, they'll, they'll just be fine. Um, you know, long-term, I, I certainly think Dallas is, is still a playoff team. I think they'd probably take the spot of, you know, maybe San Antonio or, or Sacramento. Um, you know, even Houston, I think would be in there right now as that last, uh, play in team, but you know, the, the COVID stuff makes it makes it difficult to evaluate these teams. But I mean, Luka Doncic has only missed one game. And and I know they were without like half of their regular rotation. And then you can't discount that. But 
at the same time, I think you would you would like to think that you'd go better than you know one and seven in that stretch overall. Um, yeah, some of those losses did come to to, to pretty decent teams. They had, they had to play Utah twice. They played Phoenix back to back. So it wasn't like these were super concerning losses. But at the same time, I mean, you have you you have like a 16 point loss to the Chicago Bulls. Um, they got they got blown out this past week by Golden State, 147 to 116. Um, I mean, the, the defense has been horrendous. I mean, they've, they've allowed 122, 132, 147, 116 over their last four games. Um, and th- that's against Minnesota, Golden State, Golden State, and Atlanta. Um, so to me, there, there are more concerning signs with Dallas. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I just don't trust the roster around Doncic all that much. And, and part of that is Porzingis, who I, I think has played pretty well, all things considered. Um, I, I just think we're kind of starting to see more and more that that he's just going to have some limitations that maybe we were willing to overlook a little bit earlier in his career. And, you know, ultimately, can he be the second best player on a title team that doesn't have a, a fantastic roster around them? I, I have my doubts about that. Um, so, yeah, to me, to me, I guess I'm a little bit more worried about Dallas right now. Yeah, it's I, I mean, on one hand, like Doncic is amazing, but he. There are like I think you if you can key in on like everyone else, I don't know. I feel like Doncic just kind of gets worn out. Like I feel like he's over the like this season he's not shooting very well on threes. Like he's improved. He's looked better than he has over the start of the season, right? Start of the year he was like pretty bad just shooting wise. I think he's rounding into form a little bit. But the concerns are there for like Porzingis in terms of a number two guy. Um just because he like is not giving you any sort of like inside presence. You know, as a big man, like he plays like a like a wing almost, like a spot up shooting kind of wing, like pick and pop. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at like Miami is one in eight against top ten teams in the NBA right now, um, which is pretty awful. And I think it's you have to look at all those games individually to be like who was available because of COVID and whatnot. But Dallas is three and eight against top ten teams, but their net ratings like minus two. Miami's is minus 12. I just don't know. Like for me, it's really hard to like pinpoint exactly what's going so wrong for these teams because they like nothing much like their rosters haven't changed a ton. You know, like Dallas got Josh Richardson instead of Curry, but I don't feel like that's enough to like really kind of shake things up like this much. And Miami's got practically the exact same roster. In hindsight, do you think we gave Doncic a little too much credit? And I, I don't mean to take anything away from him. Like his numbers have been fine. Um, you know, obviously he can only do so much uh, defensively. But I, I think with the way that he closed out last season, uh, and especially his play in the first round against the Clippers, I, I wouldn't say people were too quick to anoint him because I, I think he earned that. Um, but at the same time, I, I think maybe there was this belief that he he had reached that early LeBron stage, where it's like doesn't matter. Throw five, throw four guys out there alongside him and, and that team is going to go to the West finals. I, I think maybe there was just not enough, like looking at this Mavs roster and saying, okay, they're probably still a piece or two away. Yeah. He definitely needs like, he just needs to like, I think his, his game is obviously incredible. They're just like small things that I think would, you know, needs to polish up the turnovers a little bit and the shooting needs to be better, especially when you're taking like seven, eight threes a game, hitting them at 31% is bad. You know, when you're taking that many, you know, like Giannis shot like 30% from three last year. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, 
he's about as close to a superstar as you could get without like being the best player in the league. Essentially, I think it's like he's just like bumping up against that wall, and it could just be a matter of like he he just needs to like work on his shooting. I don't know exactly what it is, um, but the, yeah, I mean, you figure if you'd put LeBron on this Mavs team, that they'd be a lot better. Uh, using kind of your example. Yeah, yeah, I think so for sure. And the shooting is something that I think goes somewhat unnoticed because you know, you, a lot of times you only see the highlights or you see the tweet of, you know, the 35 foot step back and you're like, man, this guy, this guy makes everything. And then, and then you look at the percentages and it's like, not only is it like below average, it's just like you said, it's not good when you're, when you're launching that many attempts, um, it's super damaging. And, and yeah, I, I think, you know, if Dallas continues to struggle now with everybody healthy, um, I, I think we might see kind of a mini referendum on Doncic, uh, that at least in the short term, obviously long term, he's going to be totally fine. Uh, I want to switch gears to the 2019 NBA draft, kind of doing a, uh, a where are they now uh, type of evaluation. And, and with some of these guys, we still don't have much of a sample. Um, you know, some players who missed time last year, some have missed time this year. Uh, some like DeAndre Hunter are currently hurt. But I was taking a look, and, and outside of Zion and Morant, who are the two biggest names in the draft going in, they're still the two biggest names. Um, it, it's kind of interesting you know, from our perspective now, uh, basically a year and a half since this draft actually happened to try to sort it out and say, okay, if, if we redid this, uh, how would things go? So yeah, I, I kind of put together a rough list. I, I, I didn't spend an agonizing amount of time on it, um, but I, I think we have to start at the top. And the most interesting question is if, if you were the New Orleans Pelicans redoing this draft right now, and, and you had the option to have Ja Morant or Zion Williamson going forward, would you still take Zion? I feel like I go back and forth on this every month. Um, I, I can't say that if I, like, if you, you know, if you put me in that position literally and gave me the opportunity to, to redo it, that I, I can't say I wouldn't have taken Zion again. I think, especially since Zion has looked like he's gotten better this season as the season has gone on. I think he still has like some pretty real flaws in his game. Um, just in terms of like, he can't score outside the paint. He is not really a great rebounder. He doesn't play defense. Uh, it gives zero effort, close to a zero effort on defense. And it's kind of concerning. We've everyone's mentioned before the way he moves. Um, I think I, I think I'd have more confidence in like 10 years down the line. Morant, being the better player, like if we did this, you know, when they're 31 years old, essentially, I think Morant probably is the better player. It's still hard for me to say I would like definitively take him over Zion. I'd lean towards Morant because I think he's a kind of a more versatile player, but um, Zion does have the potential to be like dominant, you know, in, have a dominant inside game. And I don't want to like rule that out entirely as like that's definitely worse than what Morant can bring to the table. Yeah, I, I go back and forth the same way you do. Uh, if you had asked me the second game of the year after Morant had just put up like 72 points and 16 assists in his first two games, I, I would have said definitely John Morant. Uh, but he has not been great since returning from that ankle injury, uh, hovering around 40% from the field. He's been really bad from three uh, in that span. And, and like you said, Zion has gradually made some improvements in some key areas as the season has gone on. And I feel like with Zion, at the very least, it's like you're getting a, an ultra-efficient 25 to 30 points. You're probably getting 7 to 10 rebounds. And you know, every now and then, you know, you, you'll know, get a, a defensive highlight or, or a few assists. Um, so it, like the floor is pretty high uh, for Zion, and it's really pretty high for both of these guys. 
the question for me is just like what 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 does Zion become both in the short term and the long term? Because I have significant concerns about how he's going to hold up physically. Uh, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I've, I've said many times I, I really see this going down the Blake Griffin type of path. Uh, where it's just it just kind of becomes like a math equation, and it's like the amount of force and weight on that body, um, you know, can only withstand so much. Um, I, I, I certainly think he could reach the heights that Blake Griffin did before all the injuries. I, I think he could, you know, athletically, he probably has a little more in the tank even uh, than Blake Griffin did, which is saying a lot. Um, but at the same time, I, I I feel like if Zion was going to be the Zion that we thought he was going to be coming out of Duke, which was I mean, a lot of people described him as a supercharged Draymond Green. You know, back back then we were thinking he's going to be shooting threes. He's going to be handing out four or five assists per night. He's going to be blocking a shot and a half. He's going to be giving you a steal and a half. Um, I mean, he was going, what, I mean, third or fourth round, even before his rookie year in fantasy drafts. I mean, there were, there were thoughts that he would be dominant right away. And that's not to say every superstar just comes in and dominates their first two years and, and never looks back. I mean, there, there are certainly cases of it happening both ways. Um, but I, I think if he was going to be this like generational superstar, which people thought he would be, I, I think we would have seen a little bit more of that by now. And, and I know he's only played like, you know, 45 games or whatever it's been. Yeah. I, for him, like th- there'll be plays where like when he gets a ball on the block and he makes a move and he's like at the basket in half a second and he's over everyone or he's through someone and you're just like, wow, like it's, it's incredible to see. And then there are other times where it's like when he doesn't have the ball, I don't feel like I'm watching anyone special at all. Um, like, I don't feel like he's, you know, again, not doing much on defense. I feel like he's still not he's still not a great passer. He doesn't have to be a great passer. I don't think um, I I don't know. Like, he, he's such a unique player that it's like really hard for me to, like, pin down what I think he's going to be. Like, I think that's part of the problem with Zion versus Morant is like we've seen Morant types before. It's a very it's a, like a very usual archetype that we've seen before that you can be like, well, Morant's, you know, he's got a little like Lillard in him to some extent. He's a small, quick point guard. He's got some of like these guys in his game. I don't know. Like you can, we can say he's physically like Blake Griffin, but I just don't know. I, I don't know who could really compare him to at all. And so he's putting up great numbers, but when you're looking to like project something, I don't know whose career you look at and say, well, the history of these guys who've done these numbers and have looked like this and have played like this. I, I just don't, when's the last time we saw like a modern six, seven, two eighty four post scorer? Like, I, I Never. don't know. I, I don't, Never. I don't know. Yeah, what's right. happened. I mean, that's what makes him so unique and so appealing, I think as a prospect, but if he's not giving you effort defensively, that it's just, it kills you. It absolutely kills what you're trying to do on either end. And there's a reason this team is under 500, you know, 22 games into the year or whatever it is. I mean, Morant is not exactly Gary Payton either. Uh, so I mean, right. we, yeah. we need to, to bring that up. But with, with Morant, it's less about, it's less about effort and staying engaged and more about just the fact that he weighs, you know, 180 pounds and seemingly has gained no weight uh, over last year. So like, you know, I don't, there's not a clear answer right now. Um, you know, for a while, I think, you know, looking at the previous draft, it was like, you know, Trey Young versus Luka Doncic. And then one guy pretty firmly pulled away, even as the other guy continued to put up great numbers. I I, I think this could, you know, very well continue to be a debate through this entire season and and even, you know, maybe for, for the early parts of both these guys' careers. Yeah, it is pretty crazy how, like, we have the, like, the last couple drafts, 
at least between like the Morant versus Zion and the Doncic versus Trey Young debate, they're all insane talents. Like these are all Hall of Fame talent level players, and they project that way, right? And um, it's crazy how good the young talent, I guess, is in the NBA between those, at least just those four guys. Like it's, yeah. you know, they 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 could be like close to ten year All Stars. Yeah, I, I assume we'll be having the same debate too about Patrick Williams, Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell. <laughs> Um, so beyond Zion and Morant, who, who would be your third pick from this draft? I, I, I have a few candidates, but I want to see if anyone comes to mind right away for you. Obviously Barrett comes to mind. Um, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think maybe Tyler hero. That's the other name. Uh, I, I mean, Deandre Hunter before he got hurt, I He's was in good. contention. He was he was in yeah. contention. I, I think there's a case to be made for Darius Garland, uh, although I, that wouldn't be my pick. Um, and that's probably where I draw the line. I, I mean, if you look at the aggregate like stats so far, like Brandon Clark is lapping the field in terms of like VORP and win shares, um, although he hasn't really quite taken the step forward that that I wanted to see from him. So to me, it's like definitely a guy you want on your team. Maybe not a guy you'd put over some of the upside uh, that that players like like Barrett and Hero offer. I, but this is an interesting one, too, whereas, like, if you had asked this after last season, I think Hero is very, very clearly number three, right? Definitely. Yeah, I think the, the drop-off here is tough because Morant and Zion definitely have, like, elite skills yep. that you can point at and be like, these are, like, top tier. They're they're great at this. Beyond that, I feel like there's not these, – these guys don't have elite skills. Like, Barrett doesn't have an elite skill. Tyler Hero doesn't really have, like, an elite skill. Um, so it is tough and you're kind of just banking on, you're, you're just at this point, I think you're still banking on upside. I think I would go with Tyler hero because of what we saw him do in the playoffs. I think that means a lot. I know he's not having a great year this year, but his shot making ability is crazy. I think he has room to grow as a playmaker. Um, and I think like the Devin Booker comparisons that I initially kind of scoffed at and thought were ridiculous are kind of like, they're looking more accurate. Um, and I think just kind of what he's proven, I would take him. I would take him number three. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Uh, I mean, with Barrett, it's it's a little discouraging that he's down under thirty percent from three. I think that was the one area that you're really keeping an eye on after he shot thirty two percent last year. So that's been disappointing. Uh, he has been a lot better at the line, which is a good sign, I think, for him long term. I mean, he was terrible, like down in the low sixties as a rookie. I I think personally, I would still go with Barrett. To me, this seems like something where like Knicks fans would prefer Barrett, Heat fans would prefer Hero, and there there wouldn't be a lot of clashing between that. I can see that. Um, I I still have my concerns about. I mean, I have my concerns about both players, but um, I think I need to. I, Barrett is another guy who just kind of confuses me as a player. Um, just like his his whole thing is getting to the free throw line, but he's not a great free throw shooter. His passing, he's not a great passer. Um, and some of that might be like he's limited by the team around him, right? Like the floor spacing on the Knicks is pretty bad. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know, man. Barrett is is just a confusing player to me. I, I feel like I'm more confident in Hero being like a, um, just like a high level role player, um, than Barrett. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think with Barrett, it's it's kind of star or bust with him where you know he could still be productive i guess but i think he's just the type of player that would struggle to to fit in or, or ever like come off the bench or be the fourth guy you know it's like, i think just coming up like he did as like the number one player forever the number one guy in canada i, I think it's just kind of hard to shake that 
you know, whereas Hero had kind of the opposite, um, you know, in terms of his prep career. So who that's the top four then Zion Morant in some order, Barrett hero in some order. To me, I have Deandre Hunter fifth. I think that's fine. Um, Like he, like last season, I felt like he was just like a spot up, like, you know, three and D that's like all he was going to be. That's all he was going to do this year. He was like taking guys off the dribble. He was finishing a lot more at the basket. He's drawing more free throws. Like he looks like a way more fleshed out player this season. Yeah. Percentages are way up across the board. Yep. And if he's going to be that guy, then his upside is like, I mean, he's scoring 17 points a game this year. Yeah. Um, Like if you quizzed anybody, like any casual NBA fan who kind of like knows everyone's starting five and ask like how, how many points is DeAndre Hunter averaging? They'd probably be like, I don't know, like 13. Yeah. Um, They know who that is. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, that too. Um, So just his ability to clearly be close to a 20 point per game score and play good defense and not just be one dimensional. I think that's completely fine to have him at five. And I wouldn't blame anyone for thinking that he could, he could go above like hero or Barrett. I don't think that's crazy to me. No, I think he's played the best of those three guys this season. So no, I I don't think that's insane at all. I mean, we'll see. He's going to miss like eight to 10 weeks now uh, with an injury, which, which is not ideal. Um, I mean, we we might not see him again until really just before the playoffs. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's, he's been really good. And I think it's like 16 or 18 games this year. So like just large enough of a sample where it it feels pretty real. Um, After that, it gets pretty tough for me. Um, Yeah. I kind of have a tier of like Darius Garland, Brandon Clark, Kobe White, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. I I think, you know, not for this season, but if you're redrafting, you know, with the idea that you're keeping these players for five, six years, uh, I, I think he's absolutely in that conversation. Um, and then I, I think I'd put PJ Washington in that tier. Um, you know, then, uh, you know, my bottom guys who I'm also considering, you have Rui Hachimura, Cam Johnson, Darius Baisley, Cam Reddish, Eric Paschal, um, Matisse Thibel. I think those guys are all on the table. Does, does anyone from that grouping of players stand out to you? I like a lot of these guys. Like, um, you know, I like Brandon Clark. I like PJ Washington. Um, yeah, I mean, Garland, Garland's interesting to me. His rookie year was so bad. He's playing well this year. You know, his three-point shooting's up. He's turned into, a, like, a, a definitely good passer. Um, if, he came, if he keeps on this trajectory, he'll be a good starting point guard in the NBA. Um, I don't know. I think I think maybe, I, to me, the bigger question of this group is, like, who do you like the least? Like, is there anybody in this group mm-hmm. that you are either just, are you, like, completely out on? Do you feel like you're lower uh, than other people on them? um at all like i think i'm a a little bit lower on Rui, and i'm a little bit lower on on cam johnson i i I think for cam johnson to be what the Suns want him to be he's been fine but i I think the idea is that he's one of those like ultra ultra elite three-point shooters you know not not 36 37 percent but like 44 45 percent and if he's not giving you that i think there are some major limitations there um i i think i'm definitely higher on tail and horton tucker I've watched a ton of him this year. I, I think of that group, he's really the only one who I could see. Like he's never going to be a, a number one guy or anything like that. But I mean, there's there's already talk of like you know teams are are targeting him like you know like offer sheets of fifty sixty million dollars um, as a potential guy who you know could come in and and be a you know number two or number three scorer uh, for some of these teams down the road. And I I don't think you could say that about a lot of these guys. I, I think most of them profile as as pretty good role players. And, and ultimately, maybe that's where where Horton Tucker ends up landing. But I, I think he has 
he has a higher level of potential just just based on that scoring ability. You know, the super super unique body that he has that that enables him to play, um, you know, really good defense and also just like get to the rack. Um, you know, with with that long wingspan. Uh, so I'm pretty high on him. I mean, I, I've been pretty disappointed in Kobe White, I guess. I mean, but not ready to pull the plug or anything. But um, you know, he had that nice run towards the end of last year where he was scoring a ton, hitting a ton of threes, and it just seems like every night you you flip on the Bulls game, you look at the box score and he has like 14 points on four of 10 shooting. And it's just kind of been the same thing every single night. Yeah. With Kobe white, I think it's tough for him to really stand out because Zach Levine is like the entire Bulls offense. Like, I I don't know how a guy is supposed to like Levine is, he's gotta be like top three in usage rate. Right. Like, I don't, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's, he's been ridiculous. Um, he's only 17th. That's surprising. But he's taking like 20 shots a game. You know, it's five assists. It's four turnovers for Levine. I don't really know where Kobe White's supposed to stand out there. Um, his shooting hasn't been good, but he's, I think, I think I'm, I'm encouraged by Kobe White because his passing has been improved this season. Um, like he's becoming more of a real point guard. He's, he's, 5.3 assists at 2.4 turnovers per game right now, which is pretty good. And we know he can score upwards of like 18 to 20 points. If you like give him the ball and like Levine isn't there. Like I looked up his, his numbers with Levine off the court is like 18.6 assists. So I think Levine being there is kind of like reducing Kobe White's stock to some extent. Um, yeah, I think I, that's fair. I, I don't think there's a huge gap between he, he and Darius Garland. No. No, I don't think so. I mean, their stats are like almost identical this season. Yeah. Um, except yeah. I, 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 and I, I think I think Kobe White would be getting a lot of the hype that Garland was, especially before the injury. Um, you know, if he was in that system. Yeah, I think so too. I'm with you on Horton Tucker, man. Like, I, I think, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to me. I think we've talked about this before, but like, if the Lakers decide to try to move on from Kyle Kuzma and then just give Horton Tucker those minutes, uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me at all. Like, I know. You basing like a lot of we're basing a lot of this on his preseason stuff, but he looked really good. And LeBron is giving out compliments to Horton Tucker and Horton Tucker. They were giving him minutes in the bubble and we're all kind of like, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. So he's clear. He's clearly been, you know, doing work in, in the offseason. And he's like, I think he's just not in the rotation, really, because there's just veterans in front of him, essentially. Well, he's been back in lately. Uh, I, I watched that full Lakers game last night against OKC, which was not a sterling performance for the Lakers, but um, he's, I mean, his numbers are never wild. You know, I think his highest point total on the year is like 17, which he's done a couple times, but I mean, you could tell like when he has it going, he has it going on, on both ends. Um, I mean, his, his best game of the year was 17 points, five rebounds, three assists, four steals. Um, last week against Denver, he also had 17 points, three rebounds, two assists, three steals and a block. Um, he's just, he's just super confident, you know, for a player, it was a second round pick in this draft and did almost nothing. You know, nobody even knew who he was until the bubble. Um, like you could tell like when he gets the ball, it's like, I'm, I'm going to score. I'm taking advantage of this opportunity. There's no deer in the headlights. There's no just deferring to LeBron and AD. Um, it's like, he, he just looks like he's been in the league for six or seven years. And, and I don't know. I, I think he's already better than Kuzma. I mean, that's, that's totally fair to say. Kuzma was awful last night for the record. Um, the one thing is Horton Tucker not not a super confident um, three point shooter. That's that's the one area where he's he's really lagging. Like he does so much of his work is just you know kind of plowing his way to the basket, you know, using his footwork. 
um, using his crafty moves to to lay it up. But I mean, he's at like 30% from three. Doesn't take a lot. You can tell there's not a ton of confidence there unless he's wide open. Yeah, just I I looked up his numbers with LeBron off the court and. Per 36 minutes, Horton Tucker's at 18 points, five rebounds, four and a half assists, two and a half steals with LeBron off the court, which is like great numbers. Um, so I think, again, this is a situation where it's like there's another high usage guy. Horton Tucker can only do so much when he's out there because of the way that, I mean, AD is still out there for the the Lakers on a lot of those occasions. So it's tough to see like exactly what he can do um, outside of like a blowout situation still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do you come in on Brandon Clark? I like Clark a lot. Like I, I just like, he's an insane athlete. I think, I think that kind of gets like swept under the rug. Like he's just as explosive or like quick off of his feet as Zion in, in some capacity. It just doesn't shock you as much because he, you know, he weighs like 60 pounds less than Zion. Um, he, the main thing with Clark is he needs to become a better three point shooter. If he can become a passable three point shooter, you know, 33 to 35%, um, I think he'll be a really good player because he, he already, he showed so much as a rookie. He can be that efficient. Um, he, he seems like he'd just be the perfect, like front court six man. You play him, you know, 25 minutes a game, power forward and center. And he just kind of like hold everything down for you. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, for him, it's definitely going to be the shooting. The form looks, uh, I don't, I don't even know what it's not good, it's weird. but yeah. it's very weird. He's kind of trying to rebuild that jump shot and, and maybe that'll take some time. Um, I, I think the drawback with him too is he he is a, a very old prospect by by current NBA draft standards, so maybe that's a little bit of a knock for him in, in terms of development. Um, I, I want to hit just on a couple more guys real quick and then we'll wrap this up. But I mean, PJ Washington, I, I think it's been really good this year. Um, you know, taking a ton of threes. You know, the field goal percentage isn't great, but um, I mean, he's he's hitting over a three a game, over a steal a game, over a block per game. Uh, 11 and a half points, almost seven rebounds. I, I think he's been really good kind of picking up where he left off last season. Um, Keldon Johnson is a name that we haven't mentioned. Yeah. Uh, he, he's cooled off a little bit. Uh, you know, it was really good to start the year for San Antonio. Um, I, I just need to see a little more from him, uh, I, I guess, before I'm, before I'm willing to, to kind of make a, a long-term judgment. But I mean, he's, he's basically been a, a slightly better version of PJ Washington. So I think if I have an omission here, he should probably be a little bit higher. Uh, yeah, I'm on the record as calling Keldon Johnson, the real RJ Barrett. So that's kind of how I feel about okay, well. Keldon. Jo- <laughs> I, Keldon Johnson's really good. Um, like he, he is, he's, he is like, he plays very similar to Barrett where he's six, five, he's two twenty, He bounces off of people. He, you know, puts, he just like, he runs into people, puts them under the basket, and then goes for layups. He's a decent three-point shooter. Um, I like him a lot. I think I think at 21 years old, like, and and he's getting 30 minutes a game for the Spurs. And I know the Spurs are, you know, like they're more of a rebuild than they have been in recent years. But Popovich giving 21-year-old Kelvin Johnson 30 minutes a game, I think, kind of says something to like how good he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm with you on PJ Washington. I think Washington will probably have a better career than Brandon Clark. Um, I think I like Washington more than Clark, but um, like he's been he's Washington has been uh, like we saw last year. He was kind of holding things down in the front court for for the Hornets. And he's doing the same again uh, for them. Like he's you know, I thought he would be him and Miles Bridges would be competing for minutes. But it's just been all Washington, really. Like the, it, Bridges hasn't been competing for for his minutes at all. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think to me, I still like Clark a little more, and I think it is because of that athleticism and you know some of the efficiency stats last year and, and even at Gonzaga, his final year there, like we're just off the charts. So I, I guess I feel like there's still this kind of untapped upside with him. Um, but yeah, totally fair. I mean, Washington has been has been really good. The last guy I want to bring up is Darius Baisley. And, you know, being on a bad team that is essentially throwing out a, a ton of young guys every night, um, you know, can kind of muddle development to some level. But in his last eight games, uh, he's averaging 15 and a half points, eight and a half rebounds, two assists. Um, you know, the shooting numbers aren't great. Part of that is he's taking a bunch of threes and he's hitting them at like 28 percent. Um, but every now and then, I mean, he'll have he'll have some of these big points, rebounds games. I mean, he has a 2012 game, a 1912 game, an 1812 game. Um, and then last night against the Lakers, granted this game went into overtime, he played 42 minutes, but 21 points, 16 boards, three assists in that game, hit a couple of threes. Um, the free throw shooting's been really good. So, I mean, with, with Baisley, kind of a longer term thing, but I, I think there's something there. I think there is too, kind of based on what we saw in the bubble. He played really well then. Um, it, it's, it's still definitely a work in progress, right? Like he's getting 30 minutes because the team is so bad. Because he's still at, he's like 40-28 splits. He doesn't really get to the free throw line. Not a, you know, he doesn't get defensive stats. He's not a passer. You know, it's more turnovers than assists. He's he's still like a, in my opinion, like a very long-term, um, like a long-term prospect. Which is fine because he's he's 20. Yeah, I mean, he's in a great spot uh, to be a long-term prospect, too. I, I don't think, you know, maybe other than Detroit, I don't know if there's a better spot than OKC to uh, to kind of develop at your own pace. Uh, is, is there anyone else that we miss? I, I just want to make sure we don't have like a glaring omission. Um, I mean, the, Matisse Thibault, like not playing that much is kind of weird to yeah. me. Um, I don't really know what to think about that. I, I, it must just be because he's just not very good on offense. Um, yeah, the shooting has not been good this year. No, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, 35% from the field, 25% from three, like you can be the best defender in, in the NBA, but if you can't be better than that on offense you're just again you're going to see like 17 minutes a game which is what Thibault has been seeing so like I I think he we all know his defense is incredible like he's right now he's averaging one and a half steals and a block in 17 minutes it's kind of unbelievable ridiculous yeah yeah he's he's one of the the more unique players that we've seen in a long time I, I don't know I can't even think of anyone else who's had that kind of you know, just one-sidedness, I guess. But it, like, I, I, I usually don't care about defensive players. I, you know, it's not as fun to watch objectively. Um, but he's, I mean, he's just that good that you know, anytime you you do catch a game where he is in the rotation and, um, you know, given given Doc Rivers 20 minutes off the bench, like it, it is crazy to watch. Like he is just on a complete different level uh, defensively. I mean, the only the only other names that I have highlighted here, like Bull Bull. Um, Grant Williams, I'm sure some people like him. I, I'm not a big Grant Williams guy in Boston. Um, and then the two New Orleans guys, Alexander Walker and Jackson Hayes, who have just, they've been okay. I mean, Alexander Walker's had some moments. I, I think hopefully we'll get to see more of him as the season goes on. Uh, and we've already seen a lot more of him this year than last year. But, uh, you know, neither of those guys have, have really struck me all that much. Not a ton. No, Grant Williams is kind of just like a no mistakes guy. Like a really yeah. low ceiling, but he's also got a really high floor. Like he's just not really going to do anything wrong when he's out yeah. there, which is good for Boston because they're trying to, I mean, they're a playoff team. Yeah. He's, if you could like build a player in a lab who I just wouldn't like, it would be him. <laughs> like he's just like slow, big. He has like the body of Jared Sullinger plays for the Celtics is like 
really nice and cool and smart and is never going <laughs> to commit any crimes or anything. Like, it's just it's just not the type of guy I root for. No. All right. We'll wrap this one up here. Uh, we, we will have Ben Zweiman from DraftKings uh, coming on later this week. Uh, we'll hit some betting stuff. We'll hit some DFS stuff with him. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, that'll likely be on Thursday. And then Alex will be back, as always, with Shannon and Ken on Friday. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.